Well, good morning, Northridge. I am Caleb Anderson. It is great to be with you this morning. I want to greet our other campuses at Brighton and Celine and Grosseal. Welcome. If you're watching online, welcome. Glad that you are with us this morning, too. So I got to be here a few months ago. It was my first time at this awesome church. Enjoyed my time here so much, I begged Pastor Brad if he would let me come back again. So they welcomed me back, and I am excited to be here. One great story that I wanted to tell you, when I was here a few months ago, there was a young man named Nick who grabbed me in the hallway outside. And he said, I just have to tell you this story. So my family lives here in the Plymouth area, and I was in town, and I guess they, they, they just wanted me to come to church, and they begged me to come to church. They said, you have to meet our pastor, Brad. And so he showed up at church, and they were like, oh, we're so sorry, Nick. I don't know who this joker from Southern California is. That's not Brad. Uh, but he said, but guess what? I'm from Huntington Beach. And so Nick showed up at the church that I lead in Huntington Beach the next Sunday, and has been there every Sunday since. And he's making friends, he's jumping in and serving in different ways, making an impact in the church, and I think making good life decisions, and his family that's here that have been praying for him for a long time is so pumped that God is, is answering those prayers for Nick. Uh, it made me think of, was it last Sunday or the Sunday before, Mother's Day, and I brought a photo of my family at our Mother's Day service in Huntington Beach. That's the fam. That's, I'm holding Jack in the, in the pink shirt. He's fourth generation Jack on Hillary's side. And then Hillary is holding our son Henry. And Hillary is also pregnant with our third, who is a daughter, to be born in August, which will completely change our lives and our family. But what that picture doesn't show is that three and a half years of infertility before we had those beautiful boys. What that photograph doesn't convey is that Mother's Day is fun and really challenging for my wife, Hillary, because she lost her mom not too long ago. Uh, in fact, right before our first kid was born. And so Mother's Day brings with it this mix of emotion. I'm so grateful that God gave us these kids. I'm so sad that they don't have their grandma, her mom, to be a part of the journey. And as I stood up on our stage at Mother's Day and looked out into the crowd, I saw people that I knew had paid for the infertility treatments and procedures with still no baby. And I saw someone, a young person, who I knew had just lost their mom. And here they were on Mother's Day. You see, there are times in our lives when we pray for things and God does it. There are other times where we pray and we hope and we desperately cling to some kind of faith that God would do and then he doesn't. And the question for us this morning is, what do we do then? What do you do when the thing that you're praying for, you're well aware, might not work out the way you want it to? 
What do you do when the thing that you're praying for already hasn't worked out and there's no going back at this point? I wanna take you to a story in the Old Testament part of the Bible. When I was here a few months ago, we talked about Nehemiah and a book that I wrote called Favor with Kings. The story that we're gonna talk about today happens in that same area, in the same general time frame, just a couple generations prior. It's a story in the book of Daniel, chapter three. I'd love you to read it with me, starting with this. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and nine feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, just for fun, say Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar. It's just fun to say, right? Like Francisco or something. But if you say it, if you say it at brunch, people might think you've sneezed aggressively and don't try to spell Nebuchadnezzar, but it is, it is fun to try to say. Now, the other word in that little sentence was Dura. Dura, this historical place in Babylon, it still exists. There's still a place in that area called the Plain of Dura, and at this place of Dura, they have since, our archeologists have since uncovered a platform that they believe was probably the very platform that this statue stood upon. So I'm telling you a story, we're reading a story with historical backing and archeological backing. Let's continue, verse two. Then he, King Nebuchadnezzar, sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse four. Then a herald, a herald is just a messenger, the one that comes ahead and says, hey, pay attention. He shouted, people of all races, nations, languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments that I'm getting too tired to write down, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Dun, dun, dun. All of a sudden, this just took a turn for the worse. Like, whoa, I get the statue part. Where did the blazing furnace come from? But let me give you a little bit of context here before we get into that. Babylon is this massive, complex city with multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multicultural, all blending in, melting together, and Nebuchadnezzar is seeing to it because he's conquering different nations, and he's bringing people back to live with him, to be in his regime, to be under his thumb. That's what happened to the Jews. He had taken over Jerusalem and brought back with him the best and the brightest, and so now there's a bunch of displaced Jews in exile under the thumb of this Babylonian king. And he is brainwashing them and getting them to be a part of his thing and forget about their homeland. And Babylon is this immense, powerful place in that time. The Jews who were there, they had been educated by their parents, by teachers of the Big Ten. You know the Big Ten, the Ten Commandments? And then there was a bunch of other commandments on top of that that the Jewish leaders instilled. But one of the ten 
there was right, that ready in their mind was, don't put other gods before the real God. Don't bow down to lesser things. And so when this King Nebuchadnezzar says, I want you to bow down to my statue, that triggers something for the Jews. And they're thinking, well, does it, does it matter here in Babylon? Is our whole Jewish thing the way we used to live and all that, do we just punt on it? I mean, certainly our Jewish God would understand. I don't even think he's around anymore anyway. We're just here, stuck, enjoying the spoils of Babylon. I mean, this is where we find ourselves. Maybe it doesn't matter if we bow to his statue, if we worship his gods. Verse seven, so with the sound of musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race, nation, or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers, in other words, some of the king's counselors, advisors, went to the king and informed, parentheses read, tattled on some of the Jews. They said, King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king, which is what you say to powerful people who are temperamental and might get mad at you. Long live the king, you're great. It's a pleasure to be in your scary presence. Verse 10, you issued a decree requiring all people to bow down and worship the gold statue when we hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harps, the pipes, and all the other musical instruments. Isn't it interesting how they repeat that again? I'll tell you why in just a moment. That decree also states that those who refuse to bow be thrown into the blazing furnace. Dun, dun, dun. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. By the way, when I was a kid, I was taught to pronounce it Abednego. That's not how it's spelled. It's Abednego. You're welcome to some of you who grew up with flannel graphs and pictures in Sunday school. Abednego, no, no, Abednego. Nego. But here's the thing. The dude's been dead for thousands of years. I don't think he cares what you call him. He's just pumped that we're still talking about him. You know what I mean? If you've been dead thousands of years and someone's mispronouncing your name, who cares? They're talking about you. But it's Abednego. Remember, these are, these are the counselors who are complaining to the king and they continue. These three guys whom you put in charge of the province of Babylon, they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage like kings do and ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true? How could this be? How could you, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down. This is like a frustrated parent who lacks on the follow through. I'm gonna do one more, I'm gonna count to three. This time I really will. I'll give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue that I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. I'm not messing around. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, they don't even bother with king live forever. They're just like, Neb. <laughs> ne Nebby. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. 
if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. We'll still be polite here. But even if he doesn't, we wanna make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Okay, a couple of important observations. Remember how they kept saying the flute, the zither, the lyre, the horn, the, like in the same sequence, they, they repeated it multiple times, which is like, why would you waste paper? What's going on there? I think that the reason why they do that is because King Nebuchadnezzar had a system. He had a system by which he was trying to get all these people from different races, different ethnicities, different cultures, different pasts, to buy into what he was doing, to worship him instead of their old ways, instead of their old gods. In fact, this system went back a long ways. When Nebuchadnezzar brought the Jews from Jerusalem to work for him in his palace, he changed their name. That was part of his strategy. That was part of his system. I'm gonna give you different names so you forget your old way, your old culture. I'm gonna give, give you different names so you forget what it used to be like over there in Jerusalem in your land and the gods that you used to worship. I'm gonna give you different names so that you start falling under my authority and do things the way I want you to do them. In other words, his system was to change things so that they worshiped his gods and him instead of their God and their culture. Did you know that there is a system disconnecting you from your God? There are systems in your life that are disconnecting you strategically, intentionally, systematically, from an ongoing, vibrant, life-giving connection to your God. When that thing happens and you get so frustrated and you just, you just go to an eight or a nine or a 10, what you also do is you go to that drink. Like clockwork, it's a system. Or you go to that website. Or you jump on social media and you just lose yourself in there and you just compare your life to everybody else's life. It's a system of disconnection. And maybe it's way even more subtle than that. Maybe it's just staying up too late so that you sleep in too long, so that you just jump in your car and then the music is playing and then all of a sudden you're at work and it's, you're home before you've even thought about there being a God that cares about how you spend your day. There are systems in our life that disconnect us from our God, the life-giving power source. That's the first thing. The second observation from this story is strength in number. You notice that they mention Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego together every time. Not independently, it's not one guy doing this and one guy doing that, it's all three of them together strength in number. And it's the strength of their relationship that helps them to be able to stand up to the most powerful man in the world at that time, King Nebuchadnezzar, and look at him in his eyes and say, no, sorry, we're not gonna bow to your thing. I prefer not to have my face melted off, but I'm not gonna bow to your stupid statue. And the three of them standing side by side in relationship 
supporting one another, gave them the strength to do such a thing. And so I wanna talk just for a quick moment about relationship, our human relationships, and you'll see how this is building ultimately to our relationship with God, and that's where we're gonna go. But let me show you this. When any relationship starts off, it usually starts off with some sort of appreciation. That says appreciation, I promise. <laughs> In a dating relationship, you might call it infatuation. But there's some kind of connection, there's some level of appreciation or interest, whether it's a person at the office and you appreciate the way that they do things and you think, I, I, I wanna work with this person, I wanna get to know this person better, whether it's a neighbor and you appreciate the way that they neighbor and they take care of their own space and they're attentive to what's going on on the street and whatever, there's an appreciation that, wants, that compels you to invest in this relationship. And from appreciation, we go to respect. Respect is the next level where you have a respect for this person. That's, that's where it goes. Now, a quick little single sidebar for my single friends in the room. This is important because if you're single, you're looking at it through that lens, right? Let's just be honest. Uh, infatuation, and where does this relationship go from here? But here's the key. There are four elements of a relationship. The physical, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. Which aspect of relationships do you think in most of our American dating relationships is the one that takes off the quickest? The physical, thank you. The physical one does, in fact, typically in most of our relationships, just take off because there's appreciation, there's infatuation, there's attraction, there's chemistry, there's something going on here. Let's figure this out. Is there something that we should invest in here? Let's see where this goes. And so the physical has a tendency to just jump out in front. And then the tendency is for the mental the emotional, and then spiritual, where are you at? It's, it's way down there. But the reality is, gentlemen, if you want your relationship to flourish, to last, to matter, these need to grow in tandem. They all need to grow. This needs to be held in check, and these need to be healthy, or your relationship won't last. If you actually respect her, if you actually respect him, this is what you will want. Otherwise, it's, it's just gonna be another empty relationship that will leave you unsatisfied. Single sidebar, that's free. So from there, <laughs> confidence. Confidence is next. Confidence is when you actually start to lean in to a person. You start to, you start to depend on a person, putting trust and faith into someone. You have this in, as you start to date more seriously and think about marriage, you have this in friendships too. I have a friend named Justin who I let him see all of my financial matters, like my bank accounts, my investments, all that kind of stuff, because he's a financial wizard. So he can see some areas where I'm struggling or not thinking about things right or maybe spending inappropriately or whatever, and I allow him to speak into that. Is that risky? Yeah. Could that go wrong? Sure. <laughs> But I have confidence in him, and I'm willing to trust uh, because of that level of confidence. And Justin supports me, and it, it helps our relationship. So from there, there's commitment. Commitment. This is when you really commit, whether it's in a marriage 
or whether it's your inner circle, your core, your guys, your girls, who you call at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. when stuff hits the fan and you're just like, I don't know where else to go, and you're committed, you're like, I'm there for you, I'll drive, I'll pick you up, I'll be there. It's those kind of friends. It's that kind of a marriage where you are in, you're committed, I'm with you. And then the last level, this one is reserved for our relationship with God. All this stuff are human relationships, and all of this stuff is relevant to our relationship with God, but this is at another level. This is, this is a furnace faith. Furnace faith. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego show us what furnace faith is all about. This is the highest level, the deepest level of relationship. Let's see if you caught it. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebi, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, our God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, Even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Furnace faith, unwavering faith. I also call it double-fisted faith because I'm gonna pray to God that he would save us, that he would rescue us because none of us wanna melt None of us want to go through that pain. None of us want that to happen. But even if he doesn't, we're still with him. We're not afraid of you. We're not going to bow to your stupid gold statue. I'm going to pray that, God, you would resolve this situation, that you would restore this marriage, that you would heal my kid that you would get this job, that you would work this out, that you would do this thing. That's what I'm gonna pray for. That's what I'm gonna believe for. And even if you don't, I'm gonna cling to you. Where else would I go? I have two brothers, Josh and Aaron. Josh is the one, the next one under me in the birth order. And he played football all growing up through high school and into college. And he started as a, I think, sophomore, but for sure junior in college. But the toll of all those years of football, he paid a high price, and his knees were terrible. In fact, he had no cartilage left in his right knee. He had had six surgeries between the two of them. And he was not very mobile anymore. In the summer workout before his senior year, he wasn't able to run the stairs or do the stuff with the rest of the team. And even though he had been last year's captain, and even though he had been last year's starting quarterback, his coach pulled him aside and said, Josh, I'm sorry that you're not going to be able to start for us this year. We want to do too much motion stuff, and our offense is going in this direction, and you're just physically not able to do it. And Josh was devastated heartbroken. In a lot of ways, he had lived for football. He, he just loved football so, so much. And I remember he had come home before the season started. We were home the same weekend uh, at our parents' house. 
And he was crying about it, he was broken about it, he couldn't believe that this was the case. He had been to a prayer meeting and someone had told him that if you just had more faith, God would have healed your knees by now. Which broke his heart and made him not even wanna talk to God. It broke my heart. And so later that night after he's telling me this, I sneak into his room, probably because I was just embarrassed, and I put my hands on his knees and I prayed thinking, God, maybe I have more faith. But that didn't work either. God didn't heal his knees. He didn't play his senior year. But he met his wife that year. He got clarity on his vocation, his passion to work with special needs kids. He got his master's. He, his life began to crystallize and line up and his character began to develop and grow and he led his teammates humbly even though he wasn't on the field. Friends, people take little verses, little fragments of verses and maybe with good intentions, they use them and, and they make you feel bad about yourself and somehow kind of strategically elevate themselves a little bit more. If you just had more faith, God would have. That's not true. They use a verse like, if you had, this is something that Jesus said, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could tell this mountain to move and be thrown into the water. But maybe what Jesus was really getting at there is that you plant just the smallest little bit of faith in the ground and it will take root and it will grow over your lifetime. And maybe over your lifetime you will move that mountain but it's gonna take time and maybe tractors. <laughs> what if real faith, friends, what if real faith is praying like crazy that God would do the thing that you want him to do, that you're desperate for him to do, that he would change that situation, that he would fix that problem, that he would help that person, that he would reach that person, and even if he doesn't, to have the faith to stick with him. What if that's real faith? What if that's furnace faith? That no matter what comes at you, you can't be intimidated. You can't be knocked down. You will not give up. Because even if he doesn't, he's good. He's trustworthy. And with perspective of the bigger story, things just might make sense one day. Last couple of verses that I want to read to you from Jeremiah, they're relevant to the story that we just read. For the Lord says, only when the 70 years of Babylonian rule are over will I again take up consideration for you. Then I will fulfill my gracious promise to you and re restore your homeland. So only when you've been un under the thumb for 70 years, under the power of these corrupt kings like Nebuchadnezzar, then I'll fulfill my promise. One day, down the road, you're not gonna be alive to see it, but I'm gonna do it. Verse 11, for I know what I have planned for you, says the Lord. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans to give you a future 
filled with hope. It's just a matter of time. And if you can pull back and if you can see the bigger story, even though you can't see the bigger story, if you can just have faith. We pray like crazy that God would give us the outcome that we want, the thing that we believe is best, the healing that we want to see, the restoration that we want to see, the problem fixed. But even if he doesn't, you can have faith. In the, face of, in the face of any circumstance, of any problem, you can look the king in the eyes and say, I'm not afraid of you. There's nothing that you can do to me. God will either save me from death or he'll save me through death. Either way, this is gonna work out well for me in the end because he's telling a bigger story. He's seeing a bigger picture. And I'm not afraid of you, problem. I'm not afraid of you, person. I'm not afraid of you, king. I'm not afraid of you, cancer. I'm gonna pray for this, but even if he doesn't, I'm sticking with him. There's some of you here this morning that maybe you need to put your faith in God for the first time. That you've been checking it out, that you've been on the peripheral, and maybe it's a problem, maybe it's pain that's brought you here this morning, and today's your day. You can put your faith in this God regardless of circumstances. You can build a relationship with this God in a similar way that you would any human relationship. You understand exactly what I'm talking about when I walk you through the appreciation, respect, confidence, commitment. And you can start that with your, own, with your God today. The God who created you, who designed you, who drew you here this morning. The way you do that is just simply say yes. I want a relationship with you, God. The story, the grand story is that God, he told his people there would be hope. The people, we screwed it all up for all, the whole Old Testament is about proving that humans, we screw stuff up on our own and we need a God to save us. So he sent himself a savior. God put on skin, Jesus. He came to this earth, he died for the sins of the world, he rose from the dead so that we could all be forgiven and all start a new life and relationship with him. You can begin that relationship by just saying yes, that's what I want, that's what I believe. I'm with you, I'm with you, that can begin today. If you'd like to make that kind of a decision, I would encourage you to let somebody know, let this awesome church know. Fill out this card on the back of your bulletin. Let the church know that you're interested. Ask questions on the back. If you have specific questions, we'll follow up with you. For all of us who are here, whether you are in the middle, whether the, whether the heat is turned up and you can feel the heat on your face and the furnace is right there and you know it, or whether you've been there in the past, someone that you love is there now, or you know that probably it's inevitable that you'll be there again one day. Furnace faith, double-fisted faith, means praying for exactly what we want and believing that God can do it. And agreeing, even if he doesn't, I'm with him. He sees the bigger picture. Would you stand with me? I want to invite you to, to do something as a symbolic exercise. I'm going to ask you to simply inhale. 
And as you inhale, you're gonna think faith. You're gonna breathe in faith because God is closer than your own breath. You're gonna breathe in double-fisted faith that we are putting our trust, our confidence, our faith, our hope in our God regardless of circumstances. And when you exhale, you're releasing fear because you won't be afraid of the problem. You won't be afraid of the person. You won't be afraid of the king. Your confidence is in your God. Will you take a deep breath with me? Remember that today. Do it a thousand times. Breathe in faith. Exhale fear. May God bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he give you an awareness of his presence, his love for you regardless of your circumstances. And may you cling to him in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Number. I was lightning before the thunder. Thunder, thunder. 